Hi, my name is Mark Riggins, and I'm the senior pastor here at LifePoint Church. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like a little more information about our church, check out lpchurch.us. I hope today's message is an encouragement to you. Good morning. I am excited to share with you this morning. Now, when I was a senior in high school and it was time to figure out where to go to college, two best friends, one was going to Texas Tech, one to A&M, we're still friends, but I had decided those places weren't really for me. It just didn't feel quite right. So I had another friend who came to me and invited me to go with her to Hardin-Simmons in Abilene. Go Cowboys. All right, now you tech fans get iffy about that. Actually, Hardin-Simmons, we had it first. Not that it's competition, but uh, I thought, great, great campus. I went, I toured, really special place, and so I decided that's what I was going to do. So flash forward a couple of months, and she changed her mind. She's going to stay home. She totally bailed on me. And so now I had this dilemma, right? She had invited me to go to college with her. I had accepted, and then she changed her mind, and now I had to decide, okay, well, am I just going to go by myself? I'm not going to know another soul there. That felt a little risky. It's going to cost me some comfort to do that. But I did decide to go ahead and go. And that one decision set the trajectory of my life. I met my husband. We've been married almost 27 years this year there. And that decision has really impacted every every area of my life since then. And I could have chosen differently. I could have gone to another college, right? But my life would definitely not be the same. And so today, I want to talk to you about an invitation that you're being offered. Some would consider it costly. But I want to talk to you today about why it is worth the cost. And so we're in part three of our series, Investigating Jesus, how we know why we follow. And we're taking these Sundays to really dive deep, and ask some hard questions. And so today, one of the questions that I'd like you to consider as we go through our time together is, is Jesus worth upending your life to follow him? How do we know, like as Christians, those of you that have already accepted Christ, how do we know that Jesus is not worth just believing? Anyone can do that, but actually following him. How is his story As people here in 2023, how does that impact us? Why would we choose to follow someone from so long ago? But the reason that I believe and our staff believe that this is an important question is because we believe that our faith, our Christianity, completely rises and falls in totality on this person, Jesus of Nazareth. Now, I grew up in church. Both sets of my grandparents came to faith. My parents were Christians. I became a Christian at a young age. And so, you know, I didn't really struggle that much with my belief in God. I made it through high school and through college with that intact. But as you know, as you grow up, you encounter the cruelty of life, the world of people, even people who claim to be Christians, and you start to ask yourself, well, is God real? Or maybe you grew up in church, and like Mark mentioned a few weeks ago, you go to high school or college, and you have that teacher or professor who starts challenging the reliability of the Bible, right? They'll say, well, you know, it's 
pro-slavery, it's pro-war, it's anti-women. And then you start thinking, well, is that true? Or is what I learned growing up true? Is the Bible reliable? You know, as children, we believe in things like the tooth fairy, Santa Claus, because there was a trusted adult in our life that told us we should, and we did. Until there came a day when we didn't. Those things are a lie. Could these other things be a lie? Is God real? Is the Bible reliable? You know, I'm encountering people more and more every day that are walking away from their faith. But here at LifePoint, we have people coming every week to investigate Christianity and see if this is something they want to be a part of. So today, wherever you find yourself on that spectrum of investigating, I hope that you will consider the right question. If you're curious about your faith, I'm going to propose to you that is God real? Is the Bible reliable? That those aren't actually the right questions. That's not what is going to help us determine if we want to be a follower of Christ. Maybe you're deciding today, is this Christianity thing for me? Am I going to take a risk and am I going to drink the Kool-Aid? Just kidding, we don't serve Kool-Aid. If you're trying to decide, maybe this is the last time you ever will even set foot in church, then instead of is God real or the Bible reliable, I'd like you to ask yourself this question. Is Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John a reliable account of actual events? And that's it. That's the question. That's what we're trying to determine today. This gospel. Now that is the name we give to this collection of these four books. You might hear it called the good news. It's the story of Jesus. These are four ancient texts that tell the story of Jesus of Nazareth. Are they reliable? Is even one of them reliable? Or is it even mostly reliable? Because if it is, and we can say yes, then we don't just need to know this story. We need to let this story set the direction of our lives. You know, all four Gospels end with the same story. It's this life-changing event. And without that event at the end of the story, then this Jesus story wouldn't be worth telling. We wouldn't be standing here talking about it today. But if it's true, if the Gospel of Luke is reliable, then that is what we as Christians anchor our faith to. And if you're not a Christian, then I'm just going to ask you today to investigate this story of Jesus. So very quickly, let me recap the first two messages of the series that Mark shared with us, all right? We're looking specifically at the gospel of Luke. Now, Luke was written by a man named Luke. We see what he did there, right? Easy to remember. Okay, he was a doctor. He was a Gentile, meaning he was not of Jewish birth, although most likely he would have converted to Judaism at some point in his life. In fact, he's the only author of the four Gospels that was not a Jew. Now, Luke was not a disciple of Jesus. He actually hung out with a guy named Paul. Luke is also the author of the book of Acts in the New Testament, and there's actually no evidence that Luke even ever met Jesus. 
In fact, rather than this being an eyewitness account, we actually can see why Luke says he wrote these words. In Luke chapter 1, it says, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So Luke isn't writing something with the aspirations to get to be a part of the Bible, all right? At this time, the Bible as we know it wouldn't have existed. In fact, this Bible that we have now was not even assembled until the fourth century. Luke is writing in the first century. So we're talking about a 300-year gap, which, by the way, is more longer than how long the U.S. has been a country, okay? So it's a big gap of time. So Luke isn't trying to get famous, is what I'm trying to say, right? He says that he wants the people he cared about to be competent in what they believe. So in the first three chapters, Luke introduces us to Jesus. We get the story of his birth. We get the lineage of Jesus. We're introduced to John the baptizer, a cousin of Jesus who goes and prepares the way for the ministry of Jesus. And John is introducing the people of Judea. This is the region of Bethlehem where Jesus was born. And he's letting people know that Jesus is coming. So we're going to jump right into chapter 4. And let's get an idea of who this Jesus of Nazareth was. So Luke chapter 4, we are beginning the story of Jesus' ministry. We find Jesus at about 30 years old. And this is what Luke says about him. News about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. So in these verses, we can already see that Jesus is someone that people are drawn to. They're inviting them to teach in their most sacred places. It says they're praising him. So they like what they heard. People were drawn to him. They're following him around. They're admiring. They want to be close to him. People who were nothing like Jesus wanted to be with Jesus. And I think people were liked by Jesus right back. In fact, why would they stay with him? Why would they follow him around? Why would they be praising if he wasn't kind to them in his response, right? This would have been in stark contrast to the current religious leaders. If you read about them, those guys weren't great. Jesus was different. In chapter four, we also meet a very significant biblical figure, Simon Peter. He's also called Cephas in the scriptures, but for today we're just going to call him Peter for clarity's sake. So we find Jesus, he's teaching in the synagogue in the village of Capernaum, which is in the region of Galilee. You might be familiar with the Sea of Galilee. So this is where we find ourselves, and Peter was a fisherman. Fishermen would be low working class, not very wealthy, not people of influence. 
And when Jesus stops speaking, he goes home with Peter. And he has a meal with Peter. But when he gets there, he finds out that Peter's mother-in-law is suffering with a fever. And the scriptures tell us he heals her. Now, you can imagine a healing like this would have spread like wildfire. We think Capernaum was probably about a 1,000 people in this village, right? And in this day and age, there's no CVS on the corner, right? There's no NyQuil in the pantry. So complete healing is huge news. So at sunset of that day, which would have been the end of Sabbath, people can resume their lives, leave their homes. We read what's happening at Peter's house. The people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. We can read earlier in chapter four of other miracles that Jesus has performed in addition to this healing of his mother-in-law, healing the masses. And if you're maybe a skeptical person like me, I mean, some people like to say I'm a pessimist. I would say I'm a realist, right? They were skeptical too, right? There's no Instagram, there's no TikTok where they're posting the videos around the world to prove these miracles happened. They know that laying your hands on someone, that doesn't heal them. Rubbing mud on a blind person's eyes, that doesn't heal them. Commanding a paralyzed man, get up, that doesn't heal them. I wonder if these accounts of these miraculous stories actually makes this Jesus story harder to believe, right? And if that's true, then why would Luke include them, right? If he just wants to convince people that his story is true, it probably would have been easier to leave these kinds of stories out, right? He's a doctor. He knows this is crazy. So why keep them in? If the simplest explanation is usually the right one, then I would say it's probably because this is what happened. Luke has told us that he is writing down the facts. He's investigating, even though it didn't make sense, and even though people are going to have a hard time believing him, he includes these stories because that's what happened. So let's continue our story with Jesus and Peter. At daybreak... Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him. And when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns because that is why I was sent. In this scripture, Jesus is referencing the kingdom of God. Now, I want to be clear, this isn't a specific geographic location he's talking about. He's talking about all people, Christians, who follow Christ. We are the kingdom of God. We're under his authority. And as Christians, that's good news. It's good news to me because it means I live my life for a purpose that is greater than me. I have the opportunity as a believer to grow to learn, to live my life in the guardrails of scripture. And it's a life that is not pain-free, it's not stress-free, but it is a good life. So Jesus 
is going to leave so he can tell others this good news. And I'd like to say this to you today. If the Christianity that you grew up with or you have encountered is not good news, the idea of living under the rule and reign of Jesus Christ feels harmful to you, then I would say that you have a misunderstanding of what this good news really means. The kingdom of God that Jesus is going to share with the people, it's good news, right? It's what made people who were nothing like Jesus like Jesus. It wasn't about the rules and what you can and can't do and who's in and who's out. We see all over scripture that Jesus sat with, he talked to, he cared for people who would have been considered unworthy and unwanted. And if you've ever found yourself in one of those two categories today, then you know what it feels like when someone comes along and loves you anyway and cares for you anyway. They were your good news. So back to Luke. In chapter five, we're gonna look at a pretty famous story for those of us who grew up in Sunday school. And I'm not really sure how much time has passed since Jesus left to share his good news. But he's back. We find him on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And we're told again, there's a crowd of people around him listening to him. In Luke 5, 1, he says it this way, that they were listening to the word of God. And now sitting here in 2023, we're kind of tempted to assume, well, he's talking about the Bible. But remember the Bible, as we know, it hasn't even been assembled yet. So when we see word of God, Luke is specifically referencing the words of Jesus. And Jesus, who I would imagine might have had enough, you know, like peopling, right? They've been following him everywhere. They're crowding him around everywhere. And he's on the shore and he sees a boat. And guess whose boat it is? It's Peter's. The guy whose mother-in-law he healed, right? We just talked about him. So he gets in Peter's boat and he asks him to push off the shore just a little bit he gets him some space, but he continues teaching to the people. Then he finishes, and he looks at Peter, and he tells him, sail out to the deep water. Cast your nets. This was a weird, unexpected request, actually, because fishermen at this time would have fished at night when it's cooler and the fish come to the top of the water to feed that is what I have been told, I don't fish. So if that's not true, I don't know. But we're sure it was at night because just in a few verses earlier, we are told that the fishermen are in the morning cleaning their nets. So they would have been done fishing, they're back cleaning their nets. They wanted to go home. But here comes Jesus. Hey, Peter, let's go. And I have to think Peter was like, mm, I really just want to go home and take a nap. But was he going to tell no thanks, Jesus, I'm good. I mean, thanks for healing my mother-in-law and being famous and all, but, you know, I'm tired. Peter's been watching Jesus, right? He's been listening to him teach. He's seen him perform the miracles. He's seen Jesus talking to the people that most people don't want to be seen talking to and loving and caring for people that other people don't want to be 
around, right? Peter has been witnessing the whole goal of Jesus's entire ministry. This ministry that wasn't actually about what Jesus taught, but about who he claimed to be, the Messiah. Jesus is performing miracles in a time when illness is connected with being unclean, with being sinful. Later, we're going to see Jesus claim to not just have power to heal, but actually forgive sins as the Messiah. Now, of course, anyone could actually come along and claim to be the Messiah, claim to forgive sins. In fact, when you look throughout history, there have been many people claiming just those things. But Jesus, he's been laying the foundation of who he was by what he did. He wasn't using his words. He was using his actions. And if you notice, here Peter isn't even asked to believe anything. Jesus just asked him to do a simple, kind of mundane task. This is a simple invitation to Peter to take a step towards creating trust in who Jesus was. So let's look at Peter's response to Jesus' invitation. He says, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. This was his livelihood, and he's sitting there empty-handed. He's tired. He wants to go home. And maybe he's even thinking, well, I'm going to look like an idiot. I just spent all night out there getting nothing, and now you want me to go do it again in broad daylight in front of all of these people. But the next sentence, I think, tells us how Peter feels about what he's seen Jesus do, because he says, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. And this response to Jesus' invitation changes the entire trajectory of Peter's life. This response to Jesus has potential to change the entire trajectory of your life. Everything changed when Peter said yes to Jesus. I mean, my life was changed by just attending the college that I went to. Can you imagine the impact of a decision to act and believe and behave in a way because Jesus says so? Jesus didn't ask Peter to believe something. He asked him to do something. And Jesus knew that if Peter would say yes, his faith would intersect with God's faithfulness, his life would be forever changed. Peter had had a really brief time to observe and hear Jesus, but based on those experiences, he decided Jesus was someone he could trust. He knew enough about Jesus in that moment to take a step to let down his nets. And I believe that there are probably people in this room right now wrestling with whether or not to take the next step in their faith journey. Maybe you're not sure if you believe in God, but you know you're at a point in your life where you have to decide, am I going to take the first step towards deciding if Christianity is even worth investigating. Maybe it's 
too unreasonable. It's too costly. It's probably embarrassing. But you know at your core, it's what you need to do. Because your response to this tension has great consequence or even greater potential for great things. I think that there's uh, Christians in this room right now who would say, you know, I was at a time in my life wrestling with that very decision. And if you could talk to them today, if you talk to me, Haley would tell you, it was worth the risk. It was worth the cost to say yes to Jesus' invitation. And we don't want you to miss out on this good news. So let's finish our fishing story. When they had done so, they cast out the nets. They caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boats, come help them. They came and filled both boats so full, they began to sink. Check at this phrase. When they had done so. It doesn't say when they believed because Quite frankly, I would imagine that they didn't believe, right? They didn't really think they were going to go out there and catch anything. They're humoring Jesus. But I think this is one of the things that Luke hopes we begin to understand. Jesus called people to do, to act, behave, to live as if God is active and faithful in our lives. Because he is. As Christians in James 1, we are told, do not merely listen to the word but do what it says. Because you know what? When God shows up in your life, you see him act in miraculous ways. You can't help but want to keep doing. Luke says they caught so many fish, their nets began to break. More boats come and help them. The boats begin to sink. And Peter saw this. He experienced this miracle as a result of just accepting Jesus' invitation to cast his net. Here's what Peter has to say. He fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. I notice here that people, Peter calls Jesus Lord. It's an acknowledgement of a ruler of a place of authority over his life. Peter's seen how Jesus treated people, how he's invested his time, his energy, and Peter knows he doesn't deserve that kind of love, that kind of relationship. And he's probably assuming that he could never be good enough. The religious leaders of his day had probably treated him like he wasn't good enough. They probably distanced themselves from a man like him. But here we don't see Jesus do that. He doesn't distance himself from Peter. He goes to Peter's house. He gets in Peter's boat. That is who Jesus is. Luke points out that people really didn't seem to recognize Jesus as the Messiah because of his actions, because he purposely put himself in position to be near people who would otherwise be forgotten. And Jesus does that for you. He does that for me, regardless of past decisions, mistakes, regardless of how many times we've ignored his invitation or refused to say yes, he's still waiting for you. 
with his invitation to follow him. After the nets have burst, the boats are sinking, they make it back to shore, and we read what Peter and his friends did. So they pulled their boats up on shore. They left everything and followed him. Now you don't upend your life for someone who hasn't shown themselves to be trustworthy, to show that they're different than everyone around you. You don't do that for someone who talks about who they are, what they're going to do. You follow someone because of what you have seen them do. Peter decided that it was worth the cost to upend his life and accept Jesus' invitation. Most of you today already know the rest of the story, the end of Jesus' story with his crucifixion, his resurrection, this event that we hold as proof of Jesus' Messiah. And over the next few weeks, we're going to continue to investigate that story. But as we close our time today, I want to look at what Peter, who had accepted Jesus' invitation to follow him, had to say years after the crucifixion, what he had witnessed and what he didn't want to forget. In 1 Peter, he writes this, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. Peter saw with his own eyes Jesus is being beaten and tortured and abused and he's enduring this suffering in silence, you know. I don't know about you, but I'm not even silent when someone just cuts me off in traffic. Surely not through this. When he suffered, he made no threats. He didn't scream back. He didn't talk back. Peter saw Jesus continue to behave in the way that he had always behaved. He was gentle and humble. And instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. I'm a person that wants justice. I want things to be fair. And I don't know if you know anything else about the trial and crucifixion of Jesus, but it was nothing close to fair. But it says Jesus trusted himself to the one who judges justly. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. Peter gave up everything to follow Jesus. And in these words, his words, I believe we're hearing Peter say, it was worth the cost because of what Jesus did for him, what he did for me, and what he did for you. And so now we find ourselves back at our initial question. Is Jesus worth upending your life to follow him? I follow Jesus because of what he's done for me, because of what Luke has recorded has been done for me, because what Peter corroborated has been done for me. It's what's been done for you. That's why Jesus is worth following Peter's simple act of faith, right? He just cast out his nets. It intersected with Jesus' faithfulness. He feel, filled those nets and something happened to Peter. It happened to those he was fishing with and it can happen to you. 
if you accept Jesus' invitation to follow him. But I do want to be clear. Following Jesus as a human on this earth is costly. It's inconvenient. Sometimes it feels like an obligation. Sometimes it feels like it is just too high of a cost. And not following Jesus, it might be more convenient now. But it will be costly down the road. The invitation to Jesus will cost you, but it will be the best decision that you've ever made. And so today, the question is, what is your invitation? Because I don't know. I don't know where you sit today in your faith journey. I don't know where you are. Are you a seeker? Are you still trying to seek out if this is even anything you're interested in? Or are you a believer? You've accepted God. You believe he's real, but you're not quite doing. Or are you a follower? You're already doing and sharing the good news. That's what you need to determine today. But I'd like to encourage you, if you are a seeker, if you're trying to figure this whole thing out, starting next week at 9 o'clock at the Rock Hill campus, I'm going to lead a starting point class. It's just four weeks. This is a place for you to come and ask hard questions to talk about your faith journey. If you're a believer, do you need to move from believing to doing? Do you need to join a small group? Do you need to start volunteering at LifePoint or in our community? And if you are already following, I would ask you, talk to God. What is it he has for you to do to further his kingdom and share his good news? Jesus is inviting you to not just believe, but to follow. Would you stand with me and let me pray for you? Father, I am humbled that you would love me enough to just invest your son to come, to not just talk about who he was, but show us who he was. I pray that you would open our hearts and our eyes to see, to understand and to hear. And for those today that are just even trying to figure out if you're real, God, I pray you would show up for them. I pray that you would help us, LifePoint as a church, to become a church that doesn't just believe but follows, that we would go out and make you known because of what you've done for us. I am grateful for those that have come today to hear your word. I pray that it would not turn away void, God, you have great things for us, and may we have the courage and the faith to take our next step. In Jesus' name, amen.